Uh, welcome to the Maverick Strength Podcast. This is episode 10 with Nick Camby. Nick, welcome. Thank you for coming on, buddy. Hey, thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Um, a lot, I mean, a lot of people that listen to this podcast know who you are, um, but a little introduction. Nick is currently the Clash of the Coast 105 kilo champion and also the fixed axle world record holder for the 105 kilos. Um, so, Nick, how are you feeling after that? You seem to have had a busy year of comp so far. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, right now, doing two comps, but I'm actually it, um, feeling pretty well. Um, of course, coming back from Russia, I, I came back with like a, a little slight cold, but um, it took me probably a week just to get back to normal. And then I've been kind of resuming. Is that the first time you've competed over in Russia? I can hear you. Yeah, uh, I think you just dropped out for a second. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for the most part, um, I would say that, um, yeah, I'm feeling getting back to the pieces. But I would say after the clash was where I was the most sore probably ever after a competition, after like three days uh, of, of, of course, kind of brutal events, I was actually like really sore. It took me like a week and I had to go to like my Cairo physio um body work specialist just to get back in line and of course like jump into a, another training cycle to train for russia so um that was of course a challenge and the um the clash events was ridiculous to have three of like three days of events that heavy was, was crazy i was looking through the other day and i can't believe how heavy they were oh absolutely and i think um of course anthony made it that way but um and of course it was kind of very exciting and again it kind of played into kind of my strengths um so of course it was um it was a, yeah it was a, definitely a very fun contest do you prefer competing over three days like that or would you rather just do like one comp one <laughs> sort of day you know if if I, if I could do it again i would say it was pretty cool and again it kind of mimicked kind of the world's strongest man in terms of the heats and the finals so if if we had to do it again um i would say that's that that would be great. I think three days is, is pretty cool. It's pretty stacked. I think it's tough when it's three days and like I had one year, I think this was official strongman games, 2018, where the first day was just deadlift. So you get ramped up for one event and then you're done for the day. And then you had to come in first thing in the morning and do three events um, and then two events. So that was kind of a little scattered. So at least two or three events per day. Um, I don't like just one event one day and then kind of spread it out. So to an- kind of answer your question, um, if there's at least a few events per day, that's that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense to do one event one day and then come in and do five events the next. <laughs> yeah, it just happen with that. So it was just, I, like a lot of times, you just, of course, you got to take a pre-workout, you get ramped up mentally, and then you do one event and then it, that momentum and kind of goes away. Um, and, and I kind of... I would say similar to like other strongmen. Sometimes in competitions, all kind of about momentum. So if you can kind of build momentum to start with, um, you can kind of like steamroll that and like juggernaut through the rest of the events just because you build that momentum and you're and you're feeling pretty good about yourself and the confidence is high. Sometimes when you're going into the next day, sometimes that can be cut because the day's over and then you got to start up again. And not, not necessarily that momentum will carry into the next day. If you don't do it, if you don't, again, train your mind and train your body properly. For sure. For sure. Um, a quick thing I wanted to touch on was how you got into strongman, because I know you used to be a college wrestler, right? Yes, sir. So I actually watched one of your highlight reels and I was like, Jesus, you're a very, very good wrestler. Um, so how did why did you stop? I mean, I know a lot of Americans stopped wrestling because 
obviously when you finish college, you can kind of carry on wrestling or get a job, I assume. (laughs) So so for the most part, um, so in the States, you have a few different style of wrestling in college is called folk style. Um, so it's a little different point system that you see in the Olympics. The Olympics is Roman Greco and freestyle. Um, and I was my, and of course my style of wrestling was generally what you see in the high school and the college and the stage was the folk style. So that was kind of really my background. I, n- I never really had an interest in terms of wrestling Greco or wrestling freestyle. Um, so for the most part, um, I didn't think I was, that was something I was going to pursue after college. Um, but I continued to lift, um, of course, like the pre the months after, and then I was kind of itch- itching for my kind of next challenge. And um, through my kind of first um, employment, I was working in sales at a gym, and I got introduced to a bodybuilding coach. And I was gonna do um, I was gonna do I was gonna do bodybuilding, but a month into the bodybuilding program, um, he introduced us to a strongman, and also and then ha- had us hop into a strongman contest. And I I'd train events one day, and then the uh, a couple weeks later I jumped into the contest, uh, and then I was kind of hooked from there. And I still went through the body kind of the bodybuilding um, class for the rest of that rest of the month or the rest of the. It was kind of like a. It was through, of course, my friend Christian Manti, but it was kind of a kind of like a program. So it was like eight other guys were all learning like different posing and diet and stretching and different workouts um, of course that are great for bodybuilding um, and of course I apply a lot of that today but I realized that the strongman was much more appealing in this in a sports sense rather than bodybuilding so I told him that I'm a, I chose to pursue strongman and of course I'm going to forgo bodybuilding and um, that was back in 2012 so I did two contests in 2012 uh, 2013, I did three contests, and then every year I picked up a probably an extra contest, um, and then I won my pro card back in 2015, um, and then from there I've been competing, of course, top level shows either in America or I try to go international. I've done three international contests so far overseas, and then of course I did like five or six international contests in the states. But um, yeah, n- now of course since 2015 I've been kind of competing um, again in the, the top level shows for 105 kilos it's very quick for you to turn pro it's only three years it's very very good but um, you know what i would say it's one of the quicker i anthony Furman beat me by like a year maybe like <laughs> years. so I, I again that's something i always ask individuals like how long did it take for them to turn pro i think anthony had me beat by like six months or so um and then there was one individual that got it fairly quickly but getting in the top of my head but it's yeah it's I would say three, yeah, three year, three years is on the quicker end. Did you, um, in America, to turn pro? Do you have to qualify for a regional and then go to a strongman corp? Is it the Arnold's? Is it the Nationals? So I won it through a Platinum Plus at the time. So they don't do as many Platinum Pluses anymore. Um, so it was um, a, a show during the summer, and about thirty guys were in the in the in the weight class or in the in the show itself. Um, so the course, only the winner would get the pro the pro card. So the the, the events lined up for me. That um, of course that contest there was actually like two pressing events out of five events. So um, I think that of course kind of played to my strengths, and I was um, you know and I pretty much like won the first event and like held the lead for the rest of the contest. 
I mean, there's some amazing 105s in the US. I mean, you guys seem to have the largest crop of top 105s. So going into the pro rank, how did you find that? Uh, so, 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 um, so your question is like, how did um, like, how, what was the transition like from amateur to pro? Oh, absolutely. Well, I I still thought even when I turned pro, I still had a, I got no, I didn't say I necessarily got lucky, but I think this this again, if you compete hard and you train hard, the you're gonna make your your own opportunities. And I think I was able to become a pro very early, but then I got into the pro circuit again pretty early, and then meeting a lot of like different individuals and of course like learning about their training um their techniques and watching them in person um so right off the get right off the bat so i competed like my first big contest was probably the year after and that contest had um rob kearney and then uh sean d marina so right away i got exposed to some um great lifters and i realized like oh wow i really have to kind of like step up my game um because i was i think at the time i always really focused on um technique um that was always my biggest thing for like everything but then i was kind of not necessarily putting the right time in when it came into like diet and recovery um programming um and some of the other kind of facets uh, to the sport um so i think once i was able to of course uh be a little well-rounded in all those areas that's when i really was able to kind of step up my game but um, but, for, but being able to get, um, I would say exposure to the pro level and like early on in my career, I think really made a big difference. Uh, and then of course, a lot of those top level guys are also my friends right now. So I'm able to kind of share experiences and keep learning from them, um, every day. Certainly. So, and did you, in terms of your programming, do you do your own programming? Um, yes, I, I've had, I've had a, uh, I would say a coach or two in the past. Uh, but right now I do, I do do my own programming. Um, and I think for the most part, it really kind of comes down to, um, again, you want to try different things from time to time, but at the end, I think you got to stick your, your own guns and re- I think kind of really understand. Makes you, um, again, be very kind of prepared for a certain contest. And I think my style is a little different than I would say kind of most, um, so I, I, I was, and again, it's a lot of programming. Um, and I think that's something important because again, even if there wasn't competitions, I would say going to the gym is a, of course a big kind of piece in terms of kind of, um, how I relieve stress and how, where I find kind of enjoyment. So when it comes to kind of doing the, the certain workouts, I, I want to do workouts that I enjoy. There's, a, there's definitely the workouts I don't enjoy as much that, I got, I got to do just because to become stronger and become that well-rounded strong man. But for the most part, I want to stick to my own guns, but there's time. But if, if I didn't have those one, one or two coaches in the past, um, then I wouldn't have um, probably learned a little more in terms of like applying their programming techniques towards my uh, programming. Certainly. I think there's a, there's something to be said for understanding your own body and how it reacts to certain systems, especially when you're coming into a competition, you know what, if something's not moving quick enough or you don't feel quite prepped, often if you've got a very rigid coach, it's a struggle to get a change that you know you need. So if there's not that sort of extremely good rapport where they're going to give, they're going to kind of let their programming approach slightly relax to you, it's not very good. Um, what what workouts do you not enjoy, Nick? Well, workouts? Um, I think right, <laughs> right now, I think there's, there hasn't really been um, anything too much. I think 
the one that I, I sometimes will get reluctant. I think right now it's like probably, um, probably I would say probably my only um, hole would be throwing, would be throwing uh, workouts. And I've been, I've been doing, get, getting better. Um, my throwing wasn't the best at uh, Clash. That was probably the only event I probably underperformed. And I actually did train that a bunch. Maybe I might have overtrained that. Um, and maybe overthought it at the contest. Um, but throwing events have, or just throwing in general is not my favorite. Um, but I'm getting, I'm getting better at it, but pretty much, um, I would say like any kind of strongman implement I I enjoy. I think the, the one I didn't really like either was training for the blue barrel at the clash. That was, it was just really like almost like too awkward. Um, but uh, luckily I didn't really have to like put, push that in the last, um, in the second day to make it to the finals. Um, but I would say just hearing just little things like here and there, but, um, if I had in my way and which I'm kind of doing right now, since it's kind of like my, like a mini off season before I ramp up for like September and November in the fall, um, is that I'm pressing twice a week and then I have a squat day and I have a deadlift day. And, um, and that's a pretty great mix for the summer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's nice to get some pump workouts in and not always be like rigid to sort of like lower body speed, upper body speed, upper body max neural events. Like it takes it out of you when you're prepping for a comp, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So one one thing I certainly want to touch on is like in the UK, we've never seen the tsunami bar. I know you used it for a long time. Um, what? How did it come about? What? Like, what are the benefits from it? And I mean, there must be some serious benefits in terms of sort of stretch reflex for speed work and things like that. Um, but like I said, I'd love to know more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, actually, I've been, of course, getting a lot of questions from individuals in the UK if they ship out to the UK. And they do. It's slightly more expensive. But of course, um, it is something that um, that they offer. Uh, but I started using using the tsunami bar probably back in like 2016, and again it, the I would say the rep uh, of tsunami bar got in contact with my gym owner, and he gave him one to one to use and one to try. And of course, anything at the gym, I'll if I, if I think it's interesting, I'll use. And I started working with it. Um, and even back then, of course, kind of pressing was my favorite, so um, I would use it for um, pressing. And I just started realizing that um, it was a little more difficult. So, like, for instance, like 350, let's just say like 300 on a straight bar and 300 on a tsunami bar. 300 on the tsunami bar is going to be much more difficult than 300 on a, on a straight bar. Um, and when we say and when I say that, it is because it's almost a different, almost slightly different workout. So you're gonna, it's going to have it's going to increase certain sticking points. Um, but, of course, the, the flexion and the the stability going um up down but sometimes um i would say going in front of you and behind you um so it's really going to test um a lot of different facets but i really just for instance started picking it up um i realized when i was was split jerking a little more back then that i was able to feel that uh kind of that weightlessness when you of course push yourself under the bar um, in like a split jerk movement, I realized that the tsunami bar did a good job of kind of teaching me to push myself under the bar. Um, but then I also realized that I can move my body faster using the tsunami bar and that carried on to the, um, or carried over to the, to a straight bar. And then, um, I realized that if, 
let's just say again going back to like 300 pounds um or i would say in kilos that's almost uh oosh, uh, like 136 yeah, <laughs> 140 is what i normally go with. <laughs> right, so like it was, it was we'll use example for 140 140 kilos um so I would say that um, if you're for, sometimes on a straight bar, you could have like a big, like let's say on a press, like you can have a big heavy knee bend and not really sit into the hips and you can still make the lift. But if you do, if you try that on the tsunami bar, it's, you're going to get humbled by it and it's either going to, it's not going to flop or it's not going to oscillate in your favor. Um, so you really have to reinforce your form when it comes to, um, not only a good knee bend and good um, crease at the hips, but uh, but also um, just like finishing the weight through. And if you're pushing that bar in front of you, you're not gonna be able to lock it out right. So you really have to push that bar overhead and over your hips um, to finish. So it's so to again, answer your question, I've I found it for like speed, speed helps with speed work, helps with stability, but also the reinforcement of form and uh, push yourself under the bar. It's, it's definitely interesting because if you leak, I can see if you leak any sort of energy, like you said, like if something's not perfect, it forces you, like it humbles you. You're not going to move it. It's going to pin you. Yeah. Um, so it forces you to be direct every time with the technique. It's funny actually, because I think the first video I ever saw of you on Instagram was like 2017 split jerking that bar. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching it and be like, wow. And it's also, um, it's, it's also as thick as the axle bar. So it's almost a good practice for an axle bar to it. Um, I'm trying to talk to them and it's a little more of a challenge, but I, in the future, I want them to, I, I'm talking to their research and development guy and he's helping me to try build a, a tsunami log. And that's like the next evolution. Uh, but that, that's, that's by like having the composite uh, bending with, with like a steel frame is, is, is harder than it it's harder in concept and to, to apply it. So that's, so that's the difficulties right there. But I think one day there could be a tsunami log out there. That would be crazy. I mean, I think, I think you'd have to sign a disclaimer to use it. <laughs> I think you'd need to sign a disclaimer to use it for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I saw that, uh, that lap pull down bar looks amazing because obviously you can, you can actually pull your scapula all the way around rather than a normal lap pull down being fixed. I've watched that recently and I was, I was, I was very impressed with it to be fair. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this, I do want to get a hand on it. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great pump workout, hypertrophy workout. It's like, for instance, I still do again using like straight bar uh, or like traditional lap pull down bars, but sometimes to like mix it up in my prep um, or mix it up in a, in, a, in a block. So maybe I'll run, I'll run that for like three weeks or so, um, some three or six weeks. Um, but it, again, it's just another great tool. I try, I try to figure out with try. I, because I, I have the there's different levels on that too, but I have like a level five lap bar pull down, and I try it with like doing like tricep pull downs, but it's a little too stiff, so I might have to ask them for like another uh, lat pull down bar to try using for triceps. But still, still learning like different applications for it. But I think it's um, again, it's still it's still there's a lot of things that could be known and other applications for it that could be very useful in someone's training. Yeah, for sure. So that leads us nicely on to how you prep to break the world record, mate. Um, sure. Very, very interested for this, like, because that, it, what, what, it was 190 or 189 in kilos? Yeah, um, 189 and a half. So originally I, I asked for 190, uh, just so, again, that would be like a good, the international guys would 
understand that too. And four eighteen, it would be like four eighteen pounds. Uh, but just the way that the they calculate, like the way the 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 change plates that they had that day, four seventeen is the best they could do. So that's what kind of what we went with. Um, but training up to it, it's interesting because I didn't put like a huge prep into it. If to, to be honest, uh, it's always been a pretty good lift for for myself, the axle. Um, so in the past, I've I think my, my previously my best axle was back in actually 2015. I hit 410 pounds, which was only probably three or four kilos off from the actual um current the, the the world record that i hit um but i never had the opportunity to hit the axle so it was always something that was there um but leading up to it um i was doing a lot more muscle cleans and power cleans to get and uh, and that's good for my general training and that that carries on to like other implements and um of course other areas in strongman that that helps me be more athletic and efficient and again be able to really um clean different type of implements so like even like transfer into like block training for instance um but for the actual prep yeah i was pushing a lot of um muscle cleans and power cleans and then i was able to get down to uh, my friend johnny wasisco's down in new jersey um and he had a fixed axle setup so i was able to get down there and and before and prior to that i only touched an axle maybe Ooh, maybe like tw- maybe like twice that year so this is or like twice in the last six months pr- prior to going down to my friend johnny's and i was able to hit 415 which is was one kilo off from the from the world record um so my i feel like my training doing muscle cleans and power cleans push presses and split jerks even with olympic bar transferred well but i also was i've always been, been very proficient at the axle um so I didn't have to put a, a huge like 12 week prep to try to break that world record. So it's just something that I always kind of had in me. So if my press is already feeling strong, then I was able to um, do it. Um, but leading up to the contest, I was still kind of pushing my press. Um, so let's say like the last seven weeks, I really, um, I, I did a lot of work off the blocks. And then the last two weeks I, for my main press workouts, I was doing some, I was doing the tsunami bar work and that was kind of like my finisher in terms of, getting ready for the the actual record um so i hope i get the chance to, of course maybe push that up a little more but i i feel that um i think one 195 would be would have been potentially potentially doable and the next time i try to attempt that i mean I, was it andrew clayton that had it before and he seemed to hold it he seemed to held it forever yeah he, um i would say he held it for a couple of years and andrew put it puts a pretty Pretty, pretty good prep to it too. Um, I think he actually did a twelve-week whole, whole prep, and he trained the axle every week. I think, I don't think training the axle every week is a bad thing, but I felt that I was very super proficient with it. That I, I didn't need to put that kind of stress on my body to train it every week. So, I think when you're that strong and like the axle been like log press, as we both know, is not like highly. It doesn't abuse your joints, whereas the axle really abuses your wrists mm-hmm. like it's a rough exercise for your hands and if you're as strong as you are surely rotating it every two weeks or, or even or even more can often help and then you work the other exercises which i find interesting with you because you train overhead more like an ollie lifter like you use push press to bring up your split jerk where i know a lot of split jerkers just drill split jerk and, and kind of lose out on that shoulder strength hmm. 
I um I got to the realization I was I was I think in twenty probably like up to like twenty eighteen I realized I was split jerking too much and it started twisting my stance and shifting my hips a little bit. So I realized it was doing a little more harm than good. Um, so I, then I, that's why I thought implementing the push press would help a lot. Um, and then I kind of came, came to the realization as well is that if I really push my push press and then if I don't spend as much time on technique on the split jerk, I feel like it's almost like riding a bike. I can always just split jerk wherever and whenever. Um, but for instance, if I really work on it, getting a good push press, and then if I'm able to be like anywhere from 90 to like 95% of technique on my split jerk, then it's still, I'm still going to be able to potentially hit a PR, um, in the split jerk. And I, I tested, I've tested that all off the blocks, like in 2020, um, a, a couple different times, um, just where I would focus on push press and then to split jerk for the first time in a couple months and be able to hit a split jerk PR. So, um, but I think starting out, it, you have to, if you really want to be good at split jerk, you got to work at it. But I've been, I've, I've been split jerking since like 2012. So I think I was able to really just, it's almost, it, it comes really natural to me compared to other lifters. It's, it's definitely one of those, like some people just fall into split jerk. Um, I, I still power jerk axles, um, but I used to power jerk log, which I stopped doing to do push press because obviously you can grind a push press. You can't grind a power jerk. Mm. Um, but I, I feel exactly the same. Like I found power jerk very easy. I spent a lot of time around Olympic weightlifters, but I could start, I don't power jerk, but I know within two to three weeks, I could hit a power jerk PB quite comfortably. Yeah. Without, and the push press has a huge carryover, which you just don't hit in terms of, because obviously it's a strength speed movement um, and you're throwing heavy weights, but you're not really working your triceps or your shoulders in a jerk. It's all lower body based and you're just stabilizing at the top. So you're missing out on all the, that effectively tricep shoulder power. And the only assistant exercise that really carries over to push jerk and obviously power jerk is really a front squat. So you kind of take away all those good exercise or assistant exercises that you could be using to increase the lift. Now, um, now, do you still, if you're training a power jerk press during that same time, or is it just one one type of uh, press movement? I often would do um, power jerks and then pull back. My back off work still do push pressing. Um, I, I found it's, at a, I was a terrible presser, and it took me years to get good at it. Um, and I found that adding the push press in a lot more has just brought my pressing on. Um, so I always keep it in. Uh, absolutely because yeah, i've i've come to the again i've come to a lot of realizations but um the one the one that i think it's i think what really helped my push press is i i, I kind of ignored my my strict press for a while um even when i think this is probably maybe like 2015 2016 2017 i think i had like a 110 kilo uh strict press but i would have like a 190 kilo split jerk so <laughs> Really big, big difference. Yeah, I was really far off. So, but I realized that and again, it's just I can't just keep split jerking everything. And again, there's sometimes it doesn't make sense to split jerk when there's time. So, I think for of course your audience and and of course anybody else that might listen, um, is that I think for someone to be a really um, I would say great presser, they're gonna have a, they have to work at their strict press, their push press, and have a jerk. You don't necessarily have to split jerk, but you got to choose one of the three jerks. So you got to either 
push jerk, power jerk, or split jerk. I think that's the main movement. I don't recommend anybody doing squat jerks because implements can always vary from time to time, and that's very technical. Um, but push jerk, power jerk, split jerk is probably the three I would recommend. And I think someone should, they should choose one of them. Uh, I try, I've tried an L3, and of course the split jerk is what works best. But I've had friends that tried out split jerk and then went to a power jerk, and that was much easier for them. Um, but I think every strong man should uh, practice a type of jerk and then be proficient in the push press, proficient in the strict press. I I definitely agree. Having a broad spectrum across the three of them has improved my press rather than just focusing on one and hoping it will just go up and getting frustrated as to why it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the next thing I wanted to talk about is now you've won Clash, like Clash of the Coast, I think, to most 105s, apart from the fact that it ha- only had American athletes because of COVID. And one Canadian, one, don't forget. <laughs> and one Canadian. Um, that is the best 105 show ever to run across the world with the best array of events, affect the highest prize money. And I, I can't see how in the next couple of years it's not going to be the biggest 105 show in the world. So, and I mean, across three days, it kind of builds you as the strongest 105 into the world. Does that put pressure on you going into OSG or are you looking to come in, going to take the OSG title? Um, you know, I, I think it's a different pressure I, because I, I, would, I, would, I was treating Clash as my Super Bowl, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- I think for every, a lot of strong men, I think you got to prioritize like what's important for you in, in the contest. And then when that came up and also there's on our biggest holiday, of course, July 4th, that's gonna, That's when Clash is going to be airing on ESPN, which is, of course, our sports network, our Euros, like our version of Eurosports, our, our biggest, um, of course, sporting network. So that's going to be a huge spot. And Strongman contests haven't been on ESPN for over like 10 years. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a big piece for um, Strongman, again, getting getting the word out. So I really was treating that as my Super Bowl. Um, but I still want – but like, for instance – I have there's I'm gonna do two shows in September most likely and then one in November which is OSG. I think I will still kind of bring that same kind of enthusiasm and that same prep. Um, but for instance, I think for that like I already this year I think again I already won my Super Bowl, but I'm still um, I'm still very motivated to kind of keep going and kind of keep proving myself. Um, when I went to Russia, I, of course, went there on a short prep. So, like, what anything happens, kind of happens. And again, going there for kind of experience, but um, that really, um, again, competing overseas is almost a different skill in itself. So, I'm still learning to be learning how to weight cut, how to how to manage time zones, and how to prepare myself to be the best version of myself when I go compete overseas. So, that was an opportunity for me to challenge myself in that respect. Um, but again, I'm rambling a little bit, um, but back to, or of course, kind of your question, I, I think I'm still going to bring that same intensity, that same enthusiasm into OSJ. Of course, being world's strongest man, 105 kilos has always been a goal of mine. I've done three other worlds in the past. So I think I, I, I definitely, I, my body feels good enough that I should be able to put a good run together. I, I personally see you winning it. <laughs> right. Um, is Anthony competing this year? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to push him. Uh, and he's and you he, want to beat him, right? <laughs> makes well, sense. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy competing as well, and of course, he's a, a, being a great friend of mine, so I want to push him. But again, it's he, he's um, he's working through a couple things in terms of his knee, but I think he's keeping his body strong right now, 
uh, so he could jump into a contest if it's later this year or maybe next year. Sure. I mean, running Clash of the Coast must be very, very time-consuming as well. No. I mean, it's a great comp. Absolutely. Um, also, how did Russia come about? Like, you just seem to be going to Russia all of a sudden after doing Clash. So I got I, <laughs> pretty much a week or two before Clash. Um, and that was through, um, of course, America's Strongest Man and, like, Strongman Corporation. So the top guys um, that placed that America's Strongest Man to 2020 got the, inv- got the invite and the, and the, got sent the first two. So, or sent t- two athletes. And I, of course, I took second that show. Um, unfortunately, Anthony Deal was number one and he tore his bicep uh, prior to Clash. So he wasn't ready for Russia. And then it went all the way down the list to Johnny Wasisco um, as other individuals either didn't, were either hurt or didn't have passports. And or or weren't or weren't able to take off the time to go to Russia, so that's um, how we got the invites to go over there. It looked, I mean, it looked crazy. Like it looked like. What was the setup? You were you competing for a couple of days and then forced to drink a lot of beer? I assume. Yeah, uh, it was. It was actually kind of a. They had like a kind of like their own version of like a moonshine, or of course something that they that they created over there. The mixture between like. Uh, vodka and gin, and they also had uh, they they mix it in these like berries that are grown up up north there. Um, but and it was a it was a process in terms of like we were doing something. And got there, so like we arrived. We of course had to, our connecting flight, and then when we got there, we had to go make weight. We had to go grocery shopping, and then of course once we made weight, we had breakfast, we had press conference, we had COVID tests, we had. Um, sightseeing, lunch, travel to the actual competition site, which was three hours away from the um, from the from the city, and it was in a very remote uh, fisherman village, which is about anywhere from like six hundred to eight hundred individuals. And they, I think the the whole town came out to the contest to watch. But the the sponsor pretty much brought in a lot of all that equipment. So when I say equipment, not only the strongman equipment, but of course they built the, the platform and like the stage, they built like the big banner. They had the DJ booth, they had all these tents, they brought in security, uh, food and water and supplies. Uh, so they, they really made a big production out of it. Um, and of course it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a very kind of fun contest. Um, and again, it's again a different kind of experience from Clash, but it was. Great. And I always enjoy kind of competing against kind of international competitors, and it was a kind of a great representation of. Again, they had four or five, yeah, yeah, four or five top Russian athletes, and then of course you have Poland, Czechoslovakia, um, Bulgaria, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and Sweden. So, the real hotbed of strong like strength athletes. Um, I know a lot of European athletes compa- complain about the U- a lot of US athletes not understanding that. It's interesting how you would like to compete against them, and like you know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think you gotta get. I think you have to kind of get out um, and kind of compete against international competition. Again, it's sometimes different. It's a different competition. I would say sometimes the weights are lighter. Sometimes the heights are different. So, and again, sometimes the dumbbells are shaped differently as well. Um, but it's, it's another good way to kind of test yourself, and it's. Of course, you. We're lucky right now that the, um, of course, like the world, like OSG is located in the U.S., which again gives a, I'll say, a slight advantage to the U.S. athletes. But um, 
but but of course it's like there is still other athletes and if you really want to consider yourself the world's one of the world's best you have to compete against what the world has to offer so being able to kind of get out and it's also great to come it's again it's a great to like see different cultures get different perspectives and bring that into your own life when you come home um i think that's always, of course very important and um so i again i do enjoy traveling internationally but there's still a lot of different competitors that i even haven't i've done three international shows hungary russia belfast those are the three i've done but there's still competitors like in India um, and Iran um, that I've never competed against or even seen. Um, I think there's there's a there's a few South Africans. There's there's a lot of con- and then I realized there's he actually's coming to OSG. There's the um, Africa's strongest man, 105 kilo, coming to OSG this year. So I'm I'm not really familiar with the African scene, but I, I'm I'm pretty curious to to see what that looks like. You, I mean, Africa's a bit, I don't really know much about it, but I know they have little access to equipment, but they have some freaky athletes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if it, if if he's coming out of, like, the influence of, like, Iron BB. I don't, I don't know how, if Iron BB's, like, maybe city or village is producing strongman athletes. Again, a lot of times it just takes one strongman athlete to start building that influence in a certain area or region. But I'm curious, like, what that looks like. Um, and then I think we're going to see... Uh, I'll say a lot of it. And then, of course, there's a lot of South American strongmen. I think there's more like heavyweight strongmen right now. But again, I think we potentially I've seen like 105 kilos from Mexico as well. Um, and then, of course, the Canadian Canadians are very strong. So it's it's, it's pretty. Fa- and then there's ch- ch- the Chinese. I'm not, I haven't seen too many 105 kilos or heavyweights come out of there, but there is a J- Japanese 105 kilo and he has a few friends. Um, so again, it's, it's <laughs> he's coming for friends. Yeah, it's definitely it's it's, de- it's definitely growing internationally as well. And, and again, seeing different 105 kilos come out. So I think it's again 105 kilos. And again, it's I I can see myself potentially as a 105 kilo lifer. Um, again, I kind of enjoy competing in this weight class, and I like being kind of staying lean and fast and um, athletic. But when we talk about like kind of like strongman and strongman competitions, generally, especially in the United States, 105 kilo is where most men kind of fit into when it comes to weight class. Not, I would say like a, if we talk about like statistics, I would say the largest class statistically over the years in most areas is going to be 105 kilos. So I think that, if, of course, as this if as, as this class grows, we're going to see a lot more guys come out to compete and. Um, I think the sport's going to continue to kind of grow in that sense and uh, grow in the 105 kilo class. For sure. I mean, I'm a heavyweight now, um, but in which is funny because obviously in the UK, like I'm still reasonably involved with the 105 class. Like, I help out a, a fair bit with like the competitions or whatever. Um, it's by far the most exciting class to watch because it's the most athletic and the guys are still extremely strong. Whereas often in the open weight categories, they're not as athletic or they're not as technical because they're so strong. Whereas 105 athletes have to be all round amazing athletes. They have to be quick. They have to be athletic. They have to be explosive to throw things. They also still have to have amazing technique because they might not have the leverages of a heavyweight strong man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by far the most exciting to watch. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I believe so too. Unpopular opinion, but it, <laughs> um, it definitely is. Um, we used to have a real wealth of 90-kilo athletes in the UK, but it seems that the more access people have to gyms, obviously the more muscle they're building, the 105 is becoming a lot more stacked than the 90s was. 
Mm. Um, because, the, I mean, the 90 kilo category in the UK was, I mean, I think we had the top six guys at OSG or some something ridiculous like that for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and of course, I watched like the 80 kilo contest recently. Oh, um, the UK one. Oh. Yeah. UK one, of course, you know, a lot of highlights, of course, with the stats, <laughs> like 30 guys. And then, of course, I, I, I've met um, Dan Ashcroft. Is it, I believe that's who you say is, is that I say his last name? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, he's so got the world record in the dumbbell now. A couple of times. Um, but, um, but of course, I really like he's a really strong competitor. But of course, there's a few guys that finished ahead of him. Um, of course, the twins, and I think there was one other individual. So I, I like, I thought. So, of course, all these other guys are kind of coming out. Like, I, I wasn't familiar with the Twins until this year. Um, but, of course, there a lot of individuals are coming out. And then, like, again, what's going to happen in another one or two, one or two years? Um, but also, I'm always kind of curious. Um, now, what's – so, in terms of, like, 105 kilo UK men, of course, I, I'm very familiar with, like, Luke Davies. And I know Tom, Tom Hibbert is doing the 105 kilo log prep press um record i think not this saturday but next saturday it looks like uh, yeah so tom so in, interest tom's actually my coach so oh. tom was going he's doing it on the 3rd of july still but i was going to compete at england's strongest man the day after and he was going to coach me but that's been pushed back four weeks but he's still doing that on the third and i believe he's going to go well he definitely wants to go for the world record um which is interesting because I know you want the world record in the log as well, right? No, that's Rob, that's, uh, Rob Kearney has it at 410. Or... No, I know, I know you want it. <laughs> oh, want it, want it. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, have it. I'm, I'm curious. So I, I think we're, right now we're scheduled for um, September 4th in Texas to um, at one of the Strength Fleet um, Summer Series qualifiers. Um, or they're calling it the super series. Um, so that's out in, that was out in Texas. So we're, yeah, we're going, we're going off that. So depending if he, if he, if he increases it to like, let's just say maybe like 415 or 190. So it'd be interesting what, what he, what he pushes. Um, so I'll definitely kind of be watching. And, um, I think Anthony might've been talking to him to see if he can come to Texas, but I know that's kind of a, a kind of a hike right now in terms of kind of the, the current, uh, political and, COVID conditions, so hopefully maybe he'll make the trip. I think it's the visa thing, isn't it? Like getting a visa to come into the US seems very difficult at the moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so that would be cool if, of course, right now I think we have six guys that are going to go after it. So it's almost like a American log, American log championship. But I think it will be, um, it will be pretty exciting. But yeah, I'll definitely be watching what uh, um, Tom will be doing in in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, but it was interesting. But like, of course, whether hundred, I know there's. I think Dean Madden is bumping up to 105 kilo for um, um, for OSG. But is, is there any other high 105 kilo in the British scene that? Are, it seems like a lot of them that don't want to do OSG this year. I think Luke Davies is doing it, from my understanding. Mm. Um, I don't think Dave Williams is doing it. Um, Matt Cole again doesn't seem too interested in going to OSG, and Matt Cole's the current British and UK 105. So it's a bit of a funny one. Yeah, Matt Cole. No, I, I, I'm not familiar with him. He's, he's not competed. I don't think Matt's competed much internationally. Um, I when I spoke to him, he's just he's more interested in competing in like SCL or uh, even the Arnolds. He doesn't. He's not too interested in OSG, but he's lightning fast at moving events. Like he makes a 400 kilo yoke 
like look effortless. He's incredibly mm-hmm. quick. Um, so yeah, Matt is very. He's probably the top. Well, he's the top one hundred five in the UK. Um, there's there's a real kind of like at the moment. There's probably like ten one hundred fives that are all very good. Like Matthew McKeegan's another one mm-hmm. uh, who's from Belfast, or, or maybe not Belfast. I think he's from Derry, so he's from Northern Ireland. He was. Uh, he's, he was supposed. He's to be- been to UKs. And Clash, he was supposed to have a group, but he couldn't get. He wasn't able to make it over in May, unfortunately. Yeah, he's he's very very good. I mean, his deadlift is exceptional. Um, but he competes in he's competed in UK Strongest Man open weight the last two years as well. Mm. Oh so wow, he's he's a monster. Um, so I think he's competing in UK's and Brits one hundred five kilos this year. So there's look, there's a massive wealth of UK strongmen that are kind of all. That are coming up, so to say, they're all very strong, but they've not won a lot of like UK or British titles. But it, so this year is going to be very interesting as to see who's going to take the title and who's going to go to RSG and all those sort of things. All right, all right. excellent. Yeah, of course that'll be, of course, going to be very exciting. But again, I think when I first started uh, or first competed internationally in 2016. There were a couple British guys, um, but not to, I think, to the extent it was today. So just even the last four or five years, I've just seen a big increase in terms of weight class strongmen in in, uh, in the UK. So which is very exciting as well. I think just probably maybe the just the recent popularity um, with, of course, all the Giants Live contests and stuff. I think it's bringing a lot of interest. So again, exciting for the next few years to come. Yeah, for sure. That and I mean, there's a couple of promoters that do really well in the UK for 105s. They um they kind of bend over backwards to make sure the 105 get looked after, so cool. I think that's helped a lot as well. Oh, excellent, yeah, and and, and of course, if uh, if is there any international shows, I'm always I will always be interested. I've I've never competed in, of course, in the UK, so that would be I actually that's that's uh, incorrect. If if I could compete it in Belfast, is Belfast. In the UK. <laughs> all right, but maybe right, so maybe I haven't competed on the maybe, England. So maybe if. Uh, of course, that that'll be a fun one for the future. How did you find being in Belfast? Uh, about you know that was my second time in Belfast. I I went there for a wrestling trip the first time around. Um, we did Northern Ireland, Belfast, and then we did Dublin for for like about eight nine days uh, for a wrestling trip. Um, and then I came back to Belfast, and Belfast was fun. We of course we were able to kind of check out a little bit of the sites, and then of course um, we we had fun going to to some of the different bars. But um, the bar, of course. Um, very kind of like Irish name of a bar, but my favorite bar that we went to was Filthy McNair, um, in, in at the end of the night, and that was the only bar that was open. So that was <laughs> Belfast is Belfast is live. I used to go, I used to have to fly over there once a month, and it was always on a Friday. But I'd be going to catch my flight, and it would just be so lively at night, like seven o'clock. Everyone's drinking, like everyone's super close to each other. It was just a very like lively place. Uh, absolutely, but yeah, I've been. Always enjoyed every time. Right. Um, Nick, thanks for coming on, buddy. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to get the podcast up soon, and I wish you good luck at OSG. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, sir. And, of course, uh, yeah, hope to talk to you soon. Certainly. Speak soon, Nick. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Talk to you soon.